Now with sexist microtransactions. July. <laughs> nothing happened. Nothing happened in July except Phil Fish quit. Okay. I'm sorry, Phil. Bye, Phil Fish. Leave Phil Fish alone. I have no opinion. All right, August. Really? That's it? Okay. Fez two canceled. So you don't want to discuss like internet mobs? They're bad. Well, well we already discussed that quite a bit. I think with that, it's okay. been a really terrible year honestly for twitter if we're going to be honest yeah because it seems like every other freaking week there's some sort of like mob attack on someone whether motivated or not and frequently unmotivated especially if they happen to be a woman on the internet in phil fisher's mm-hmm. case he is sort of like a tough pill to swallow and it is understandable that you know he got some of the flack that he, and i'm not saying that that excuses it at all at the same time, I mean, he also was just like, oh, you should kill yourself. And it's like, all right, maybe that's like referencing Futurama or whatever. I don't care. You don't I don't know. remember that episode. I don't watch Futurama. I just remember someone saying, but that's what it yeah. was. But still, it's like, you don't say that to someone, even if you're being like some tough guy on the Internet. And I think he was doing his best for self-care to extract himself from Internet communication when he did. And he absolutely owes no one his participation in game development. And it's unfortunate that that means that, you know, we're not going to have Fez 2. But I think a lot of us are still playing Fez 1. And uh, I don't think that the world is going to end because we don't get Fez 2. I think it's far more important that Phil Fish gets to be the person that he wants to be without getting a bunch of shitty flag from, like, strangers on the Internet. And actually, to his credit, he seems like a person who's like unlike everyone else in the video game industry. Seems that whenever they say something, it's more like with the caveat for the next three months. Hmm. He seems to have actually stuck with that de- declaration. Yeah, I don't know. It's been more. It's more. It's been more than three months. But, uh, yeah. but. all right. August two DS announced. Everyone checks date for April Fool's joke. Why do you not like the two DS? I'm just saying this was the reaction. Uh, okay, so what does everybody think of the TDS? Is it yay, quick yay or nay? Don't care. I wish that you could fold it. If you, if you could fold it, it would be the perfect console, but... You can fold it, it just doesn't work after you've done so. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, some games will not play properly on it, because some games you simply can't beat without the 3D function, because, like, uh, what was it, uh, Mario 3D World, they that, integrated the 3D into certain sections of the game. That's shitty game design, that, though. But that's, that's, not, that's not true. It does make some parts of the game pretty difficult, without that, that perception, but, I mean, like, it's... And, mm, <laughs> okay, okay. So, uh, so ignoring the fact that it fundamentally breaks a lot of 3DS games, what are we hoping about it? <laughs> so, okay, so what's interesting uh, for me is... It's a Pokemon machine. That's yeah, what it was mainly marketed for. It's a Pokemon for. machine, but Pokemon is worse in 3D. The frame rate basically halves. You, you know, you can, you can practically watch it. It's like steering a zoetrope by hand whenever you turn on the 3D if you get a flying Pokemon out. So I think it's kind of a problem for Nintendo because, as you said, they've added these 3D functions into games like Mario 3D Land and Zelda. But 
Most people that play the 3DS play with the slider turned off because it doesn't take much of a, a twist of your wrist to completely destroy that whole disparity of vision. So it's kind of admitted that 3D is a gimmick by, you know, bringing out the 2DS, which is considerably cheaper. I mean, firstly, I don't have a problem with it because it's not for me because they have three of these 3DSs and the one that was aimed at me was the XL because of the nice big screens for my old eyes and a nice long battery, which is what I wanted. So I don't, I think like, it's just one of these things about games that everybody assumes that every game is for them. It's like a lot of people complained about, you know, Gone Home and things being games, and then it's like, but not every Speaking of game, which, but but not every game has to be for you, you know? Is that is that, is that not okay? No, I'm <laughs> totally with you. I think we just had a discussion on that. Uh, and speaking of Gone Home, oh, huh. Gone Home, it's next on the list. <laughs> that was cute. I think I had played it a bit before that for Indiecade. Yeah, uh, the week it was released, it was my turn to do This Week in Video Game Blogging, and near about half the entries were about it, which meant I had to spend 18 bucks and quickly play it through on a Saturday night, right before I did all the work for the roundup. So how come you did that for Gone Home, but you didn't do that for Bioshock Infinite? Boom. Uh, because I actually have not read anything about Bioshock Infinite. I have this. I have four page. I have a four-page web document of links that I have to get back to at one some point. Nerd. It took. I went nine. <laughs> I, went, <laughs> I went nine months without knowing a goddamn thing about that game. Uh, that's pretty impressive, given the age we live in. Oh, so we should totally spoil everything for you. Have, it's a bit late. We already <laughs> did. So. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I, don't I really didn't like the part. I didn't like the part where you had to fight. You had to like go collect the, uh, like the fighting animals and do that whole bit. That was awful. It somehow doesn't work when you have to go. Uh, well, that's, I don't know if you've noticed, Derek. That's the way I talk. I have massive <laughs> gaps in what I'm saying. It just it just ruins like the image that you're trying to troll me. Anyway, gone home. I've ruined it. I'm leaving. Uh, I like going home. I thought. Are great. you going home, Cameron? <laughs> uh, no, I like. I I thought going home was really good. I don't know. Now I agree. No. The one criticism that I would have for it, and I sort of agree with Anna Anthropy on it, is that it's very convenient. Sure. And that you know everything is very just so in the order that you find it, and the revelations that you come about in a particular order, even. And the jump scare that I got was a good jump scare, and I appreciated it at the time, but looking back on it now, it's just like, oh, come on. That's just so stagey. So I think it's, I mean, I think it's a it's when you It's when, you're, uh, when you turn on a light, and then the light bulb breaks, and it goes, chink, no, and everyone gets... No, you don't turn it on, freaking... because it's, like, already on when you go down there, but as soon as you, like, pick up a crucifix or something like that, it explodes. Well, it doesn't explode. Well, it basically, the bulb burns yeah. out. But it's just like, the bulb burns out, and, it's, and it goes, chink, and everyone goes, ah, and immediately runs out of the secret passage. Yeah, but like, half human, I mean, half pig runs out, you go, oh, no, it's the wrong game, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is, like, those are, like, compl- I don't know if those are complaints rather than just simply facts about how the game is structured. Because people say, oh, you have to find everything in this linear order. There are two locked doors in the entire house. There's, like, barely any barriers between where you can go and in what order you can perform things. No, I meant mostly, like, the discovery of certain journal entries and, you know, when it comes out that 
she has had this sort of like sexual awakening and then all of that. And I, I think that that's all just a bit too tidy. Well, the thing is, those journal entries is like, I don't, and I, for some reason, a lot of people didn't realize this. They're not being found when you find the items. Yes, I realize that, that it's all sort of like <laughs> retrospective. But I mean the discovery particularly of objects of like the journal, not, not just journal entries, like the, like the fiction story that she writes. And like, for example, the fact that you find like the one where she's got like the male lieutenant and then of course oh, it turns into a female lieutenant and that's like supposed to be representing her discovery of sexuality, et cetera. It's just like, it's so very convenient that you found those two chapters in that order, even though spatially they don't make sense to be in two different locations in the house like that. The thing is, is the, that whenever that when that happens in any other game, we call it wonders of design and being able to guide the player. And when it happens in something that isn't combat heavy, we we start calling it disingenuous. Well, yes, that, but the well, entire uh, idea with Gone Home is that you know, like it's it's not reliant upon scares. It's not reliant upon the supernatural. All the, I mean, in as much as it kind of like alludes to that in sort of a campy way, which I actually found pretty cute in most instances. But it's just like all you've got is this house. And all you've got is, you know, this, this unreal engine and these decent physics and all that stuff. And you're just, like, exploring this thing that is fairly realistically portrayed. I mean, every single drawer is going to have stuff that you can pick up and manhandle, even if it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. And with that expectation comes also the expectation that there's going to be some sort of, like, internal consistency that's not going to be so hand-fistedly narrative-driven. And... I, it is a bit of a nitpick because the game is so good. Because it's like it's so freaking different than everything else. And it's like it's not like it's like this totally new and different thing that hasn't been seen by human eyes before. But the fact that it's like been success been such a success been such a success. Fuck yeah. this, this is just making problems for you in the editing. Oh no, I'll leave all this. I don't think it's a nitpick that you're that you're presenting so much as it's just like the the sort of necessary abject of environmental story design, right? Like there's got to be linearity to it. Uh, well, I guess there doesn't have to be, but coming from the particular schools that developers are coming from for Gone Home, it, that is part and parcel with designing a narrative cool. through the environment, right? Like they're just well, this particular type of narrative. There are narratives you can put out of order, but the what this isn't one of them. Sure. Well, no, I disagree completely. I think you probably could do, like, if we did a redesign of Gone Home, right, from the bottom up, mm -hmm. we theoretically could do it non-linearly. I think that well, would I mean, totally be fine. There are some things of it that are already non-linear. No, absolutely. But I'm saying that, like, you're, the criticism that you're putting forward is one of linearity. You find X, Y, Z in a certain order or in disparate places, and because of that placement and the timing you find them in, it is, quote-unquote, less realistic, right? That's and the also word. the content of those, that, you know, sure. there's this, like, very convenient, like, fictional metaphor for her, gotcha. like, sexual awareness. And it's also very tied to, oh, she finds someone who returns her affections and all that, and then they run off together. And it's an optimistic, happy ending. And, you know, in yeah. as much as I don't think that, you know, queer narratives necessarily need to couch themselves in all these depressing stories, and I think that that's actually kind of a deleterious trope for us to be mired in, at the same time, it, it, is, it is just very convenient, and it is very, very optimistic. Well, a happy, en well, a happy ending is only, is only an ending that, end that stops early. 
I mean, I also think that, like, John Home being sort of the first volley in, I mean, you know, sort of big-budget queer games, right? And, you know, queer games and big... I wouldn't know if I would call it big-budget. Yeah, there's a post that has taken... I think it's by Maddie that takes issue with... No, I'm aware of the criticism, hence why I said in big quotation marks. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. of a game that is designed with a fairly large budget and with a very, you know, a fairly famous design team that is doing, trying to do in a bigger way, uh, at least economically way, uh, and for audience, sort of size of the audience they're going for, that's uh, explicitly about a lesbian relationship, right? So queer in big quotation marks, but I think it's a first volley and a sort of push back and forth. So I think that we could see better stuff come out and maybe more, you know, quote unquote realistic, right? To sort of look at it through Anna's lens. Anyway. Sorry, just wanted to clarify. No, I see. I totally see your point. I don't know, Alan. Did you get to play this one? Nope, but it's of course on, he didn't. No, but it's on my Steam wish list. Uh, um, you know, oh. Christmas is coming, so uh, I'm going to buy it for you right now, Alan. Since, since nobody buys my magazine, no, wait, you know, it, wait a day, right save here. yourself. No, wait a day. The Steam sale is going to start in a it day. It's on the humble store right now for five dollars. Oh, that's right. Oh, and you get a Steam key. Yeah. You get okay. Key. I'll buy it. You have to Next cut one. This part of the podcast because it's just going to break a lot of hearts if you know they listen to this. And the, <laughs> this is our, this is our budding. Over. This is our budding romance right here. You don't want to cut this out of the podcast. Mm. Are you mean that okay. kind of freaking broken? God, guys. What anyway. I think I've lost the thread of this conversation. Somebody should make a game about um, yeah, getting uh, getting gone home and uh, buying gone home from somebody and forming a, a love story around that. Why do I? Th- that would be as po- oh god a post postmodern game about a game that's oh my god, I'm not going there. <laughs> Saints Row Four. Ah, I hate that game. Another game that I bought because it was on sale recently for like 80% off to test to make sure it worked on my computer. And I did really, it? Uh, I have yet to download it and test it. Oh. I will I, get to that. Listeners, I don't actually hate Saints Row 4. Just in case my raving about it for the last six months was not indicative. Oh, we will be inserting a certain GIF into the show notes that you oh, might want to check dear. out. Oh, Yes. That's not mine, by the way. That was just... I know, but that's why I said a certain GIF... I don't know whose it is. It was apparently found on 4chan. Because it's some, always someone. Someone on 4chan actually has good taste. But yes, tell us why it is such a great game. I love it because it's so unassuming. I love that it's basically like the scary movie, like that whole like franchise of like, you know, parody movies but for video games and yet it's able to do so many like different subversive and transgressive things that you probably wouldn't get away with in like a serious quote unquote game. So for instance, and I bring up a lot of this in like some of the writings that I've done about it before, most of the characters aren't white. And as we know, a lot of big game developers have a huge problem with writing characters of color into their games, even when the majority of game players are people of color. Uh, There's also, like I mentioned before, uh, some interesting explorations of sexuality. I think that their representations of and their discussion of sexuality is a lot more nuanced than we often give it credit for. And in particular, I think that they have some various explorations of 
gender identity that you don't get in many other franchises. This is especially true in Saints Row 2, where, as I mentioned, you can, you know, make transgender characters. But even in, you know, Saints Row 4, I mean, you've got, like, this romance-like mechanic that's basically, like, I mean, like, on the surface level, it's, like, basically just parodying Mass Effect, right? And, like, instead of, like, having all, like, these kindness coin styles, like, conversation options where you need to say the exact right thing at the exact right time, it's just, like, we're pressing a button and we're having sex. And in as much as that's, you know, really cheeky, at the same time, it's just, like, you just made the entire cast pansexual. That's all you had to do. And it's just so nonchalant and so earnest about itself that... I feel like it's able to be honest about the state of the industry as a whole and the things that we take as given as being just sort of like the status quo of games that really aren't. Um, And on top of that, I, I think that releasing a sandbox game that's deliberately broken is itself sort of a political statement at least insofar as games can make statements of that sort. The entire, my entire detailed knowledge is, is commentless let's play of like the first hour or so up until the alien invasion, because I just wanted to see exactly how it begins. It's a very wonderful beginning. It's possibly the best beginning in a video. I could not stop laughing once Aerosmith started blaring up. And everyone was saying, thank you, thank you for sa- sacrificing yourself to save us. Yeah, I just said <laughs> With... you, but you seem like a nice person, I guess. <laughs> and then you have Aerosmith just go bleeding out the hearts from their whatever that Armageddon song was. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, one of the, and one of the things that, get, that, some, that gets talked, sometimes gets talked about, sometimes gets ignored, is that Saints Row is probably the first game that does that gives the player an actual moral choice and it's completely ignored afterwards well i mean most you know those moral choices are arbi- yeah. like ultimately arbitrary but i mean this one is just like it's like sending it up to such an extent that i don't think it can ever be topped because you know you have all like these binary moral choice systems in games like for example mass effect or you know uh, alpha protocol and all that stuff where it's just like, do you want to save the village or do you want to set it on fire? And yeah, for those who don't play, I mean, and there's actually a really great um, image of this that's been going around too. It's like your two options are, do you want to eradicate cancer or solve world hunger? And that's like the only binary choice really that you make in the entire game. And it doesn't come up ever again because it's completely pointless. But what would you do really? Would you yeah, that. It's like, the thing is, I remember one discussion where this guy was explaining his, his, where he was with a friend, and he says, well, what would you do? And simultaneously, they spoke up and said the exact opposite of each other. Right. And, and it started this really long discussion of which, is, which actually is the better thing to do. And, of course, it does it in Saints Row classic style, because the actual bills that you're holding up to send to Congress, one says, fuck cancer, and it says the other one is feed the children. No, I think it means I think it says let them eat cake or something. Let them eat cake, <laughs> which is like even more dreadful. But it's just like of course that's where Saints Row does goes with it. But yeah, if I think it's the the franchise as a whole is a lot smarter than many people give it credit for, and definitely I think the fourth one is sort of the franchise as a whole culminated into just this brilliant pot of ideas that 
is completely underrated. And did I mention that they have a Christmas-specific DLC called How the Sades Save Christmas? Volition, I will accept my check in the mail. Yes, and I uh, can't wait to read that book you're writing on the game, plug, oh, plug. Uh, yeah, so if anyone doesn't know, yeah, I'm writing a book about Saints Row. I'm still in the research phase, reading a bunch of books. It's going to be about, among other things, race and gender representation in the game. So it's not going to be as academic as Brandon Keough's book, but you might learn a few things. What's the name of the book? I don't have a name for it. Probably like titles Titles come last. (laughs) If there's anything I've learned, make your title last. You will regret it otherwise. Killing is harmful or something like that, but (laughs) (laughs) and the fans go marching and (laughs) Oh god. I don't know if I could do a pun name, it would just be so terrible. I would. Of course you would, and that's why you're not writing the book. Ah. Well, I'm smarter than everyone in this room. Fuck no, you are. You would just, you would just call it Swain's Row. (laughs) (laughs) Spelunky! Exclamation point, exclamation point, came out on PC, totally counts who wrote this. Hey, it does totally count because it came out in PC, and there's a reason why it counts more than it did last year. Um, So... It's Spelunky, you know, very brief summary, uh, used to be a freeware PC game. It was made in Game Maker by Derek Yu. Um, he then jazzed it up. He didn't really fundamentally change a lot, but he made it a lot prettier and released it on Xbox Live Arcade. Um, and then it came out on the PC, the PS3, and the Vita uh, last August. And um, I put it on my Steam wish list, and my brother got me it for Christmas, and it's his fault that I haven't finished any other games this year because I spent the whole time playing Spelunky. I think the best way to describe how good it is is to tell you about the kind of daily challenges because um, it seems like a really simple thing. So every day, normally Splunky generates its levels randomly, but the daily challenge is the same seed for everybody. So everybody gets the same level, and you can all compete for high scores, yada, yada, yada. But what's really cool is that everybody started putting their Let's Play videos of the daily challenges online. There's actually a group called the Splunky Explorers Club where you can watch people die in every possible way. And so whenever I first started playing Spelunky in the Xbox, I tried to watch some Let's Play videos just to understand what the fuck was going on because you tend to get killed quickly and brutally. Um, but it was only through playing the PC version, which has the daily challenges, and sort of watching those, even watching those videos beforehand and then playing the same levels really helped me understand the systems. So long story short, 170 deaths later, um, I finally completed Spelunky uh, the other week. Which completion, Olmec or okay. Hell? I, I I got to Olmec. I didn't beat the city. I didn't get to the city of gold, but I did get Olmec, and I didn't go to Hell. Oh, uh, that's not winning. That's close enough. Like, it's hard, right? It took it took twenty hours. <laughs> no, to be fair, I have actually been watching like the Idle Thumbs crew and their Let's Play because they actually have like designer commentary when they notice things alongside their Let's Plays. And they're just, well, I think they're interesting people to listen to. But, yeah, especially Chris Remo and his his Let's Plays, it's absolutely hilarious how quickly you can just mess up. Or even not even mess up, it's just like a drop of blood will activate an arrow which will hit a TNT box, which will blow up something and you'll actually get pushed onto spikes. And it all happened in like a second. And someone actually created a bot that that will go through anything that's labeled Spelunky Daily Challenge. And find 
Yeah, yeah, and it'll find where the death it, the death where it turns into a skull, where the little icon turns into a skull where you died. Backtrack a few seconds and make a small gif out of it. Yeah, it's Joel McCoy who uh, okay. made that. Some of them are absolutely hilarious to watch. Spelunky's a bit like chess, where if you if you mess up because of something that was two moves away, you you feel a bit stupid. Or if it's five or six moves away, then you can be like, ah, oh, that's okay. That was the work of a of a grandmaster game competing against me. <laughs> you against the deep blue of level designers. But, it, but what, I, what I like about it is that, I mean, I've never really been a big roguelike fan. I played a bit of Dungeons & Dreadmore. Although I don't like roguelike anymore, and I like the term procedural death labyrinth. I really quite enjoy that. <laughs> but um, what I like about it is that it's just a game about learning systems where it's the same every time. There is no experience in the way that like, Rogue Legacy is, or, you know, everything's kind of very upfront about how it can kill you. So it's just about thinking ahead and planning out every possible maneuver. Because then whenever you actually get to that point and you finished it, and you, you really feel like you've achieved something. My, my hands were shaking as I finished off Little Mac. It was, it was fantastic. It was nearly as good as the time would be Super Hexagon. Almost, but not quite. Okay. So, yeah, funky. Very good. That should just be our game of the year again. XCOM? That's going to be... I'm going to try it again this Christmas and see if I can get a bit further. Yeah, I haven't played in a while. I should really start that off again. Although I can't use my wrist right now, so... I got gifted a copy of that. Another game I haven't played. Oh, Eric, what is your excuse, even? It's a hard life. I uh, I have to play mediocre games for review. Are you getting paid for it? No. I Burn. think we should negotiate right. this. September. September. Change.org petition oh, to get on. Carolyn. Oh, what? Because this is basically like the entire like Grand Theft Auto Five talk. So I know, just... but I love reading this out. Fine, fine, go for it. <laughs> Change.org petition to get Carolyn Petit fired from GameSpot for 9 out of 10 to GTA Five. Which makes absolutely no sense no one, for anyone who isn't like, you know... Familiar with review well, sites. Of course, it makes sense. Nine is one less than ten. Yeah, but it's just like it's like a it's like a string of gibberish. It's just like what is change.org? What is GameSpot? What is an, what is because it's like you because you're you're not saying fired from GameSpot for giving GTA Five a nine uh, out of ten. You're just saying fired from GameSpot for then nine, I will reread nine, it. To GTA Five, no, because oh. the point is she hasn't been fired and she shouldn't <laughs> be fired. Yes, we know that. But a lot of people are are insistent to the contrary. Testy opinions here on the Critical Distance podcast. I love how most of that was criticizing how I read it out. I don't know. Bad on all points. All right, uh, Chris, do you want to explain the whole thing? Do you uh, want to Grand Theft Auto Yeah, yeah, okay. So, if you've been under a rock for the last several months, Rockstar came out with their latest moneymaker, Grand Theft Auto V, and it made a billion dollars within 72 hours, and it's obviously the best thing ever made and everything that any gamer would ever want out of their life because you can do yoga and swim and shoot a bunch of people and be three gross men instead of one gross man, and this is what we call narrative innovation. So... Before the game even came out, of course, uh, a lot of reviewers of various publications were given review copies to have, you know, sort of like early press of the game and release their reviews ahead of release and sort of like give an early critical opinion. And one of those was Carolyn Petit at GameSpot, who 
uh, gave the game a 9 out of 10, dinging it mainly for, you know, just minor quibbles about, oh, you know, flagrant misogyny, shit like that. You know, just really minor. You know, just nothing that's too big of a deal. Just, you know, it just treats women like shit. Who cares? And this apparently was outrageous enough to not only inspire a hate campaign in GameSpot's comments where they're calling her all sorts of horrible shit, but it also inspired them to start a petition, because internet petitions always work, to get her fired for, again, giving a game a 9 out of 10. And that's the story. She didn't get fired, by the way. She didn't. She's still doing great stuff. And she's a lovely lady. I got to meet her at GDC, and I got to shake her hand, and I just was a total fangirl in front of her because she's one of my favorite writers. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, Grand Theft Auto V drew that kind of reaction across the board from everyone. I wrote a piece about Grand Theft Auto V that went kind of big, and I got, you know, like, a hundred harassy-style comments. I got my first race threat. Thanks to Grand Theft Auto Five, so there you know, you no misogyny there. Yeah, so that's the world. Grand Theft Auto, everybody. I haven't, I haven't played it. I played Grand Theft Auto Four, so I get the gist of it. <laughs> I've never played a Grand Theft Auto game. I just don't care. Let's play them here and there. I think they have their moments. I think Vice City is good. It's a good period piece, and it's just a bit of silly fun. It's bit, I mean, it's very similar to Saints Row. I guess Saints Row. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Saints Row games to some extent carry on that kind of good-hearted silliness of the uh, the earlier GTA games before they got super serious and like mm-hmm. especially GTA 4, where we got super super serious. It's more of the open world. It's just like when they advertise it. This game is this big and this long. Yeah. And congratulations, you just ensured I will never play yeah, your that, game. That, that I don't like. Oh, it'll take you 200 hours. It's like. I don't have that many hours left in my life, you know? <laughs> I want to play, play short games. I want to play games that I can finish in two hours. I, I did know? have to pick up the game because I was writing an article about several, including Saints Row and Duke Nukem and GTA, and I didn't feel confident writing all of that without having some first-hand experience with those. I ended up destroying my Duke Nukem disc because that's just how much I liked that game. Uh, why did you... Uh... Because it's always good to speak from experience. Let's Play would have done just fine. No, it would not I have. That, I think that's totally valid. It's like the time I bought a huge pile of Superman comics just so I could write about Superman games being really shitty. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> the, the, the worst thing... Anyway, point annoying. aside, it's like I didn't get very far in the game and it's. I think it's still sitting in my 360 disk drive and it's probably not going to get played again ever... But one thing that I do like it, as someone who grew up, for the most part, in Los Angeles County, is just how fucking faithful the simulation really is to this area of the world. And the fact that not only is it L.A. proper, but it also, like, incorporates, like, other parts of the county, including, like, this little suburb where I grew up, and that I can go there and I can show it to my sister, and she can go, oh, my God, that's that store. And it's not that store because it's an amalgamation of several things from all over the place but if there's one thing to praise GTA 5 for it's just the level of detail of the world design and the fact that it's you know morally bankrupt and otherwise completely emotionally empty that's a problem but at least I got to find my hometown in a video game 
Oh, well, see, I think, I think my hometown would be a pretty bad setting for GTA game at Belfast, <laughs> on the other hand, which is just, <laughs> <laughs> it would actually be more dangerous than a GTA game. That it's is like, curious <laughs> that you've got, like, the Scottish developer that, you know, is doing all these American cities and... Yeah. Because uh, most people don't know it's made in Scotland, including, including the Scottish. Huh. What? Uh, that's not true. It's the Scottish government that don't know that it's made in Scotland. Everybody. No, a lot of like a lot of the players, they don't know that Rockstar is a Scottish company. Mm, all, the, all, the, all the Scottish ones. Eurogame, Eurogame did an article on it earlier this year. Rockstar North, actually. They're, they're based in Edinburgh. And um, yeah. if, you, if you walk past, because um, it's right next to a big shopping center where the Rockstar headquarters is, and if you walk past, there's always somebody wearing a, a Grand Theft Auto t-shirt. And like, Come on. It's not like I wear a 5 out of 10 t-shirt when I leave the house, you know. Don't <laughs> 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 so shallow. <laughs> you know, some uh, developers will go to extreme ones to express pride in their, you know, their studio. Either that or they forgot to do their laundry. Well, I don't know, I don't know how true it is that, um, I don't know how true Maybe. it is that GTA is, is solely developed in Rockstar North and Edinburgh because I think they've got a very, very big New York contingency as well. Yeah. The big, I think well, the houses are There are art departments, anyway. Yeah. I know some people who uh, worked at the art department and they're in New York. Cool. But yeah, you, you can't make these uh, you can't make these huge games in a single studio. They're all over the world now, yeah. with different parts being manufactured and then assembled. Basically, they're like cars. Yeah. And we should review we should review them like cars. But don't but don't pirate them. That's stealing. <laughs> don't pirate cars. Um, Piracy okay. is theft. Five. Okay, we did it. Steam Machines, Steam OS, Steam Controller, Announce Week. They took an entire week for it because they're Valve and they can do that. And nothing else happened. I love how, <laughs> the only thing that I love about that, I mean, I had to cover it all for Gamma Sutra, or cover most of it anyway, and that was a big headache. I mean, it's a job, so I mean, I can't complain too much, but it's just like, yeah, this matters to someone, I guess, but I just can't see it mattering to anybody so i mean but the funny thing about it to me anyway is the fact that yeah the the, the steam box now has a name steam machines and we're just going to go right on calling it steam box for pretty much forever i guess it's no worse than xbox so do you hold on hold on so do you folks think steam os is insignificant then it's an interesting idea but I think I, I have no money ah, 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 ah. But steam, so steam os doesn't cost any money the machine does. Yeah, but you don't need a Steam machine to run SteamOS. Yeah. SteamOS Steam is like any other variant of Linux, and that's why I think it's actually a really, a really important and compelling thing because at the moment you've got this kind of you know Microsoft hedge money where they have Windows. In order to, to play games in the PC in any way, you pretty much have to have Windows. I've got a Mac, but it's also got Windows installed. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's almost like... There's there's not like a whole bunch of like phones out there that are based on Linux. Yeah, well, 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 well that's it. You've got, in fact, you well, you've got um, and a, and micro consoles. Both iPhones and Android phones are both essentially based on Unix at the base level. But people, ugh, I'm trying to phrase this in a good way. The problem is that PC games are different because most of them are written for DirectX. And what Valve did was open this up and they brought out Steam for the Mac and Steam for Linux 
And it doesn't just mean that those games are available in those platforms. What, what's more important is that people don't need Windows anymore. And now you find with a lot of Steam releases, they're just cross-compatible out of the gate. And I think that is really important because if, you lo- if Microsoft lose gamers, who are people, you know, spend a lot of money in these products, they've only really got corporate left. And it could kind of be the corporate's moving away. Yeah, but corporate's moving away because they they can just use Google Docs for stuff. They don't actually need Microsoft. Well, they don't want. They also don't like Windows 8. No, nobody nobody likes Windows 8. Windows 8.1 is okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for Windows 8.1. It it can be made less crap. Um, but I, I think I think SteamOS. I'm not sure if I would call it a game changer, but it's certainly very interesting and it's something I'm you know keen to look into and support. And also because. Um, Linux has been a bit of a, a second-class citizen, especially um, Linus Torvalds famously had this rant where he said, fuck you, NVIDIA, because NVIDIA don't ever produce any Linux drivers. That's now going to have to change. So it's well, SteamOS... It's been biding its time. Yeah, I guess. But it, it means that because SteamOS is based on Debian, it is, it's not like they're not rolling their own kernel or anything. So I think mm-hmm. that it'll make... Linux development better in general. And then the fact that, you know, everybody saves £100 the Windows license has got to be a good thing. It's a bit like the, the Raspberry Pi or even the, the OEA to an extent where, you know, people can... Linux is easier for people to dip into and develop and sort of tinker in the back end instead of having these, you know, sort of computer illiterate game players that, you know, oh, I'm going to get games on Windows. <laughs> and, you know, you get this next generation of coders and developers. I have to deal with this on a daily basis. This is what... This is the... The, the problems that come from being a, a Mac user on the internet is you get, you know, Windows numpties crawling out of every dark crevice of Twitter anytime you make some kind of post. So I think I'm I'm excited about SteamOS purely as a, as a nerdy tinkerer. Steam machines, I don't really care because I could build my own computer for cheaper, so pass. And Steam controller, well, I won't knock it till I've tried it, basically. Okay. So there you go. There you, there you have it, folks. There we go. That's all we're going to talk about. This thing that is apparently exciting to Alan. Apparently, the you know the most important fucking thing in the universe to everyone else. Sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just don't care. Yeah, I think it's pretty important. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you will, you will care if you're when your Windows XP computer dies and you have to pay for an upgrade because you can get Steam OS for free. You know, that'll be that'll be fun. I don't fun. have Windows XP. But someday your Windows whatever will expire, as the portal go. And then where will you be? Well, <laughs> I, just buy, I buy a new computer when that happens. Wow. It only happens like once every ten years. No, I'm probably no. I'm I'm thinking for you know some sort of like Unix based thing for like Linux, sorry, based thing for my next uh, computer. But you know, at the same time it's just like yeah, why? I mean, yeah, okay, Steam OS is going to be free. Well. So is Ubuntu. So it's like, eh, why do I want to hand over my my life to Valve? I've already done that with Google, and that I don't know. I just it just seems to constantly crash. I don't know why. It's probably because I'm running it in a, in a virtual environment. But anyway, this is this is really gone off track. I'm so sorry. Sorry, sorry. I didn't know like what what breaks your heart. Just Ubuntu. Just never seems to live oh. up to my lofty expectations for it. Oh, fair enough. All right. Amnesia, a machine for pigs. I've also I played this done. one. I, I watched it, and then I felt bad that I watched it for free, so I bought a copy for Alan. Yeah, and and, and okay. the difference... Wait, do you, do you really, I was actually able to play it, so I'm Hold on, hold on. 
Hold on really, really quickly. Can someone, uh, I'm going to take my headset off. I've been, a, I, like Eric, have been avoiding being spoiled for this game for quite a long time, okay. and I just got a copy of it. So okay. someone just okay. tell me on the Skype chat whenever you're done. Yeah, okay. will do. All right. Awesome. Thanks. So it's just the two of us then, Chris? Uh, so how about that, Eric, then? <laughs> I, I feel like I kind of got to stick around, but it's just I wanted to play it before the before the podcast because I do own it. I just haven't gotten around I, to it. I really don't intend to spoil it because I haven't played that much of it, and that's because I don't really like it that much. Um, mm, sorry. Uh, no, 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 hey, 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 it's not on you. You didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> I could have. Okay, so I got I got amnesia and Outlast before my birthday. And Outlast I lasted about ten minutes before I had to change my trousers. It was just too much. Um so amnesia it was. And I think it's it's interesting, but it's kinda of got Dear Esther syndrome where Well, yeah, you, it's by the guy kind of, who did Dear Esther, you know. I I know I know it's uh, I know it's Chinese room. Um and that's also why the soundtrack's really nice. Wait, Dear Esther is now a syndrome? Huh? Well, you need to let me explain it before you you you, you, you kind of go after me. Anyway, it's it's a similar game to Dear Esther that you kind of walk around listening to this somewhat overwritten dialogue, not really doing a lot. And I got I've got a couple of hours of the amnesia, so I'm at the part where this pigs chasing you about and things. I'm going to try and push my way through it, but it, it wasn't really what I was expecting at all. It certainly wasn't it certainly wasn't terribly scary. And I don't, I just can't really, like I say, I feel like it's a bit overwritten and that is really overwrought. And because there's no other characters anybody's talking about them anyway, I just find it very hard to get into. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a feeling on the part of me or the game. I'm inclined to say it's my fault. I'm not going to, you know, unduly attack the game. But yeah, I haven't really been my cup of tea. No, that's totally fair. I mean, for me, I can't play horror games at all. I mean, I freak out even playing against, like, Jafar in Kingdom Hearts. It's just too scary for me. <laughs> His so, beard so twisted. Wow. So something like Amnesia Machine for Pigs or anything like that is right out, but I can watch it just fine. And though I agree with you that, like, there's... I mean, it's not very scary, but then toward the end, it's doing some weird things that it's, like, in particular talking about, like, British modernity, and that's something that I wish we would tease out a bit more in Critical Conversation, and I'm disappointed that that didn't really happen. All right, I'll finish it and write a blog. I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I know you're Irish, but I figure you could probably speak to this a bit. <laughs> well, if there's anything uh, Irish people like, it's complaining about British people. So. <laughs> I, think, I think there might uh, be something in there about oppressing the Irish. I can't be certain. Hello? I have been making origami this entire time. I've been playing Pokemon. You back? Hello? Cameron! Hi there. Uh, we got, yeah, we uh, we talked, and then Eric got a phone call, so we're just waiting on him now. Okay. I also haven't finished playing Amnesia. I've only got to the bit where you get to the, the machine for pegs, so I didn't really want to spoil it <laughs> either. So. <laughs> I haven't got to the Amnesia bit yet. I watched the entire thing, and I still don't know what the fucking machine for pigs is. The machine for things is like the entire game. Now you start off in a house. <laughs> no, no. When you get to hey the now, end, hey now, hey now, stop, stop, stop! Please, for the love of God, I I literally know nothing about it. Like oh, not a single thing. That's all we thing. were saying. That's totally not a spoiler, man. Okay. 
I mean, I understand there's a machine. Now to it fix. would be a spoiler if I were to say it's the thing about the dog. <laughs> the talking dog. I can't believe it's the same dog that is Bioshock and Amnesia and Call of Duty Ghost. And Color Judy, as he's called. Whenever we talk about some talking dog and some game, we're always thinking about that, like that Barnaby or whatever his name was in Skyrim. Barnaby. There's like Barnabas. That's what it is, I think. But anyway, there's a talking dog in Skyrim. Is that something to do with getting drunk on a quest? I don't remember the talking dog. Don't get drunk on the quest, although it's a really weird ass quest. I'm going to Google this. I've played a lot of Skyrim. That's the thing. It's just like... Barnabas? 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 I do know this. Okay. I do know. It's like one of the Daedra quests. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Skyrim. That was a good game. That's a good how long, game. How long did you folks spend on Skyrim? I've got 80 hours long. I have... Uh, let me look. I've got it. I think over a hundred, but not much over a hundred. I think I did about eighty as well. So you win. <laughs> I don't well know done. if that's considered winning. Right, let me tell you, the first week it was out, though, I spent I logged like eighty six hours the first oh. week, and then didn't play it for like a full year. Sure. Uh, no, I think um yeah no I uh I think I got it a few weeks after it was released. I remember now like that's. Um, what my editor at the time did to pay me instead of actually paying me is that he bought me a copy of Skyrim. 131 hours is what I have. All right. All right. So, so uh, yeah, so let's, uh, that's it for uh, September. October. Pokemon X and Y. And that was it. Why did the other one get deleted? Because no one wants to talk down. about Beyond Two Souls. I liked it. I don't think anyone else has played it. Forever, if we have to talk about that thing. <sighs> Fine, your Pokemon's. That's I'm playing it. I'm I think it's ridiculous. I think I've logged about 150 hours on it, and all I have to say about it is that I just like it. I think I've, ooh, I've got seven badges in Pokemon. I actually am playing it now. Eric went to take a phone call and opened the 3DS. Huh. I just haven't put it away yet. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, I'm totally focused here, and uh, I think. I think Pokemon X is good, but I don't think it is amazing. And I think that the problem for me is that, you know, Pokemon games have always been these kind of top-down, pixelated RPGs, and they're they're very, very conservative games, and they haven't really changed appreciably from even the red and blue years. You know, you can pick up X, whatever, and it it wouldn't have changed that much, and that's okay. Um, But with Pokemon X, they've, they've done a very big change to the series in that it's now fully 3D for the first time, and they've gotten rid of a lot of the grind. But the problem with that is that because they've changed out of the, um, a lot of the systems, they're now running into problems that 3D games had a decade ago, like terrible camera angles and bad frame rates and things you never had to worry about in Pokemon before. So I think while it's like while it's still a good Pokemon game, I would if anybody's like, oh, I haven't played Pokemon in a while, should I get this? I'd be like, well, no, not really, because it's still broadly the same game. And every, you know, everybody knows the best. Pokemon are still the first 150 anyway. Yep. They just get well, sillier and sillier, don't they? Except for Whalmer. 
Okay, Wilmer's Wilmer's pretty good, but I got oh, um, amazing. I got Chespin, and I was really he was the cutest Pokemon ever, and now he's turned into this awful grass and fighting thing, and I, I was really yeah. disappointed. <laughs> you kept yeah, them, no, they always start out evolved. so cute, and then there's only a few that actually become more adorable as they evolve. Like Gardevoir, I think we can all agree is the most moe Pokemon. I don't even remember that one. It's just oh, too many. dude, it's just too never many go on to four chan. Uh, no, no. I, I, I no one to... wants to go on to 4chan. Yeah, they just wind up there. Yeah, people simply find themselves on 4chan. <laughs> I think no, they find that... themselves defending themselves on 4chan. I've never, never been happened. on 4chan. I've never been on it actually. Yeah. You have missed nothing. I, I actually, I say that too quickly. There are sh- there are certain boards of 4chan that I like a lot, but you do have to distance yourself very much from like the community that is there because, well, I mean, it's you know. They're jerks. Anyway. <laughs> well, my my take-home Pokemon message would be, yes, it's still Pokemon, and therefore still pretty good, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a game where you can play as a Pokemon with three noses glued to a rock, and therefore it's lost some of the initial charm a little. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting, and I'm having fun putting together, like, themed teams. Like, I just am putting the finishing touches on a team of Pokemon that are based on Night Vale characters now, because this is my fucking life, I guess. But, I mean, as far as, like, overall design, I think it's actually pretty terrible. And I think it's only by dint of the fact that it's Pokemon that we've forgiven it for so much of that. Anyway, I have no idea. I haven't played a Pokemon game in, like, 15 years. Good so. on you. last one I played was Pokemon Red, and I borrowed it. No, I was, like, That's deep it. into it when, like, Red and Blue were out, and I just never... Handheld consoles have never been the thing for me. No, I was... I was absolutely it. obsessed with Pokemon Blue. And, yeah, no, I haven't picked them up since then until this one either. I just saw that, you know, that Raver Deer, and I'm like, I want that thing. It's got, <laughs> like, glow sticks in its antlers. <laughs> <sighs> Don't we all want glow sticks in our antlers? Yes! Yeah. November. Yeah. I'm just going to do these all as once. PS4 launched, Expo launched. And that was it. And so, and somehow they and everything changed. associated with them. I'm just going to get a big hearty meh because I'm sure you three, if not everybody else, has read my blog post for the New Statesman where I said, yeah, I'm not buying either of these. I don't think anybody should, at least not until they actually get some fundamentally decent games. I think everybody should buy a PS3 or a 3DS. Those are, you know, affordable consoles have, with you know, loads of good stuff. Games. I got what I wanted out of the PS4 launch like two weeks before. I bought the controller, connected it up to my PC, got a fan-made driver to actually make sure it works, and I've been golden. I have no real desire to get the actual console, maybe in a year or two, but the controller is pretty much all I wanted from it. That's kind of the problem with console launches, though. You're not talking about, you know, really great games that you're playing. You're talking about, oh, the controller is nice. It's like, uh, oh, the hardware is really powerful. With, like, what games are you playing? Assassin's Creed 4. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Assassin's Creed has now become the, um, the, the splinter cell of, of uh, Ubisoft's franchises, where it's just it's had a good run of a couple of games, and that's just going out to pasture. It's out of the knacker's yard for a slow death. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. Like, Assassin's- I don't know. Like, this is not the place to, to have this fight, but I absolutely fully 100% disagree. Like Assassin's Creed 4 is amazing. It's an really? amazing artifact. Oh, I'm I'm I do not I haven't played an Assassin's Creed game like, you know, actually enjoyed it and continued playing over an hour or so 
since the since number two, like number two vanilla. But yeah, no, it is an amazing accomplishment and fun thing. I I have not been. It, it is a game where in my idle moments I'll be thinking, and I'm like, well, I could be playing Assassin's Creed Four. What am I doing right now? And I don't have that happen to be with games. That is the first time in a long time that's occurred. Um, I like how you said you're not getting into it, and then you totally got into it. Yeah, but but like this is not like a back and forth <laughs> thing. Like I just think it's a a really powerful game that works. I don't know. I have a PS4. I saved up for a bunch of months and paid a little bit of the time because Amazon allows you to pay to pay uh, open orders with gift cards. So like oh, okay. I, yeah, so I pre-ordered it the day it came out, and then I just split it up by like you know six months or however long. And I just every time I got paid because uh, I paid monthly, I just put a little bit more toward it. So it wasn't like a big hit or anything for me. Yeah. In the end, and I think it's. I mean, we also use uh, our console. Like I don't have cable, and right, I live with my partner, so we do a lot of like at-home media stuff together. You know, on the couch and that kind of thing. So I don't know. I don't think the release stuff is great or anything, uh, but I don't feel bad about purchasing it. Um, and it feels good to play. It feels good to use. It's a lot better for us uh, than the PS3 was, especially being able to put apps to sleep and be oh, able to switch back and forth really quickly between different things. So if I'm in the middle of playing and you know my partner comes in and wants to play uh, or wants to watch something on Netflix, I can instead of having to go to the menu and back out, and it's this five-minute process of turning yeah. off the game and saving we, or whatever. We icons to load and things like exactly. that. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's literally two button presses, and then we're there. So as a gaming sort of thing, I don't know if it's a necessarily an upgrade, but as far as like a media device, it is qualitatively much better than... I think, uh, it, I think it's really interesting you say that, though, because people have complained about the media functionality out of the box. Like, it doesn't play... MKVs, it doesn't do yeah. DLNA exactly. over a network or MP3s or even music CDs, which Sony, I think, invented. Oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> along along with Philips, I think they were the ones that came up on that. So, oh no, there are like, some, yeah, like I was complaining about the other day that the only way so you can take screenshots right with the controller, and that's really great. Being able to stream things directly off the system is cool. But once you take those stream, screenshots, you can't even like I can't plug in a USB device to pull them off. So I can't transfer to USB. I can't email them to myself, and I can't put them onto online storage. So the only way to pull the screenshots off the console is to tweet them. So I'm just tweeting these screenshots out to myself and then deleting the tweets later. So yeah, it's not a. There's some definite issues, but those are all, you know, hopefully those are all. You know, They've actually said wrong. like with uh, the various uh, video formats and CD and playbacks that it's they're thinking about patching it back in at a later date. So, like with the games, functionality to be determined. Yeah, it's just a, I don't know. It's a really different approach though to not just to the PS3 but also to the Xbox One. Where of course, the Xbox One was marketed as you know this TV all in one, and you can plug up, you can even plug a PS4 into it if you want some really horrendous input lag. But um, you know, it, it is designed to be this all-in-one media box, whereas the PS4 isn't. It's just like the PS2. It's just like, right, let's play some games. Let's do this. I think that's, that's totally fine because, honestly, if I, want, if I was going to buy a new console, that's exactly what I'd want because I've already got an Apple TV that does all the Netflix and media streaming and beaming, or I can just plug my laptop into the TV. Sure. So, uh, Our TV does the Netflix and all thing by itself. Oh, you get a smart, smart TV. Mm. Yeah, we replaced it. At, we replaced our old one after like ten years. 
So, it, but it, it is interesting that like you're using it as a media center when in fact Sony has kind of positioned it in a totally different way. So yeah, that, well, they've positioned it, but Glad you're there's it. there's very little difference between the two machines. Well, one has a cable box inside of it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's the TV integration and connect. That's yeah, pretty yeah. much the qualitative difference. That's, that's great if you know live in the USA and have cable. But even if you even if you know. Well, yeah, it doesn't even work. At, it no, doesn't even work outside the US. It doesn't work. Doesn't work in the UK. Even if you have Sky TV, which I think about, you know, it must be like ten million people own it. It's a high percentage of people own that. It doesn't work. Just it doesn't work in Europe as, well, as a whole either. So it's like the Xbox is just. It's always, I mean, it's always been fairly American centric. And I sat and watched the E3 announcements about NFL, and I'm having to, you know, Google these sports terms to find out what on earth they're talking about. It's like what is what's, what's <laughs> ES. What's ESPN? You can't pronounce that, you know? What are, what are sports? And, uh, sports uh, ball. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're saying football, but it's but it's all red and, and a funny shape. I don't understand. Um, so, yeah, it was never really for me anyway. I don't think Microsoft would get much of a toss about that. I mean, it's not even it's not even out in Japan yet, and it's not going. It, it might not even release it for another year or so. Good enough. Well, play, well, to be fair, neither is the PlayStation 4 yet. Yeah, but people in Japan actually want to buy the PS4. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, long form discussion, but they sold well. We they did well, and they're expensive. Okay, December. They are. Mighty Number no. Nine kickstarted complaint against a woman being hired as a community manager. Yes. Um. I think for this. Our best response is just to link to that one video that someone did um, parodying the entire incident because it's pretty atrocious and also, you know, just the latest in a long series of, you know, squalling man babies, decrying, you know, us criticizing sexism and then being incredibly fucking sexist. Over a community manager because she's somehow going to taint the game. I, it, tell me if I'm wrong because you actually worked as a community manager. Do community managers have any effect over the product whatsoever? Well, I fucking wish. No. <laughs> no. I mean, like maybe in a rare case because, they, I mean, they are sort of there as being like, because they're supposed to be like sort of like that in-between person between the fans and the developers, right? So, I mean, part of my job when I was doing community management, and I might be doing that again soon, who knows, was, you know, listening to what the players wanted and then relaying those concerns to the management. I didn't generally relay any of my own issues unless there was, like, something that was very, very, like, wrong with our actual system that it was affecting my ability to do my job. Like, by the way, did you know our forms are broken? Can we expect a fix on that sometime in the next few years? Something like that. There is absolutely no way that someone, you know, in a community management position, as this woman, Karam, I think that's her name, is, that she's going to, I don't know, like, taint the, you know, Mighty Number no. 9, which is, you know, about a robot fighting other robots, that, you know, she's going to somehow ruin that with her feminine influence. It's just not how community managers do anything. And it all started because she drew fan art. Yes, that's another part. Oh, gosh. You know what? Yeah. Honestly, I think, I mean, I don't expect Inafune or anyone like that to even listen to that sort of thing because, you know, 
why would they? They've got a formula that obvious, obviously works. Why would they need to uh, be progressive? It's not like it's the right thing to do or anything like that. But anyway, it's just like, I don't know. It pissed me off quite a bit. And it's funny because she seems like a really cool person. And the other one, and the other thing that happened, Zoe Quinn's abuse over depression quest on Steam Greenlight. Again. Again. So, yes. Uh, so to break this down very quickly, uh, Zoe Quinn is a Canada-based uh, game developer. She did a game that was actually written in Twine, and it's very well produced, called The Profession Quest, and I would call it uh, an empathy game. It's one of those games where it's very deeply exploring um, the issue of living with depression and uh, like fighting against that depression uh, through the medicalized system, for example. Um, and whether or not it's well-suited for a platform like Steam is sort of beside the point. The point is that she put it on uh, Steam Greenlight for consideration among the community to um, be you know, promoted through Greenlight onto Steam. And not content that you know, this was just not a game that would interest them personally, a lot of or at least a very vocal minority of Steam users took extreme exception to the idea that a woman would somehow have any knowledge of depression. And there was a very vocal and very grotesque hate campaign, campaign launched against her. She um, received harassing phone calls where people were, you know, masturbating into the receiver end of the phone and so forth, really disgusting stuff. I'm pretty sure she got death threats and rape threats. And unfortunately, our system is still not exactly well set up, uh, either from the justice end or the law enforcement end, to deal with this kind of you know, 21st century harassment. She's had to take dramatic measures in order to protect herself. You know, She's closed down accounts. She had to change her phone number, all of this. And all because she put a game on green lights. And I think, if anything, this is a pretty damning condemnation of the sort of culture of misogyny that is still very rampant among game-playing communities, especially those that feel that there are no repercussions for their actions. Of course, you know, this one has a happy ending because since the abuse started and since she came forward with it quite bravely and she was you know, taking a big risk and doing that anyway. A lot of websites have come out in support of her, and at the moment, as we're recording this, it, the game now stands, like, ranked number four on Steam Greenlight, meaning there's a very good chance that it will be greenlit in the near future. So, I guess your and plans And it's for are... free. Oh, it'll be free, too. That's There's that. You can actually play it for free online right now if you go to the website. But, see, on Steam would be even cooler. So, I guess your plan sort of backfired, trolls. It didn't the first time. She actually uh, had bowed down. She didn't want to deal with it. She took it off green light. Then she br- she brought it forward, and then she decided that, no, I'm bringing this to light. Uh, yep. more, more than just a quick note here, too. Zoe's been very vocal over the past couple of days about pointing out that the trolling behavior itself didn't push it into the top 100 because of the spikes of green light votes that have occurred are much lower because of this incident. Or, this incident did not produce as large of spikes as previous just coverage itself has. So I think she's been very vocal about not taking this sort of the trolling paid off uh, viewpoint, but rather that 
this game has had an enormous swell of support in a number of different ways that sort of push down the the effectiveness of the trolling. No, I didn't. I didn't mean to suggest that like the trolling in itself was like creating an awful lot of attention, but rather it was the response to that sure, that sure. was that was creating. Yeah, because there was a, there's been a lot of people tweeting to just okay this for green light, green light this game. And then of course you have all the people who green light it the first time all doing it day one as soon as she announced she put it back on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to have some clarity there in yeah, case uh, we read it the other way. Sorry. It's, but yeah, her main thrust of this has been like trying to shine the light of disinfectant on this whole idea and actually prove, no, this is what happens. You say, well, if you don't like it, make your own games. This is what happens when we do. And then you dare to play in the quote-unquote boys club, which is, you know, apparently all of Steam. That's news to me. Although it's kind of hilarious that some, like, well, at least the one that is hilarious is like someone calling that this is somehow a scam <laughs> to get money. <laughs> For a free game. Yeah, I haven't figured out what the third step is. <laughs> the well, third the step is step always profit. The, yeah, the, the second first step is profit. Yeah. The question. Oh, I always said the fourth step was profit. No, no, no. What are the, what are the second and third then? Well, it's the, well, that's why it is. You have the first step, then you elaborate on the second step, question mark, question mark, profit. Okay. Just <laughs> now that I've explained though. a different version of the joke, uh, anything else other than go greenlight it if you still can by the time you hear this? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm good. I'm saying go pay for it. Go to depressionquest.com and pay the money for it. Um, because not only does it help pay the developers, but it also gives the money to a mental health charity. Which I think is a very good thing. I actually, it's actually a pretty effective game. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the best games I've played I've, this year. Uh, yeah, I, the thing is, I, re, I really liked it because it just sort of like. It left me after 45 minutes, and I finished it, and I just was left there stunned, stunned, and somewhat hollow. Can we do a quick shout out to uh, Patrick Lindsay and Isaac Shankler? They're the other two. Yes, I, I couldn't the, remember, on the game. Couldn't remember who else helped her. Yeah, just like making sure that the whole team gets a shout out. Well, there's actually, if you go to the Depression Quest website, there's a there's a couple of juicy quotes from uh, there's a steam journalists, Cameron and myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, so Cameron you know. said, said, not only good, it's truly revolutionary. And I said that it was good too. My, my, my quote's not that easily condensable into one sentence thing. So that's just my fault for waffling. In fact, I'll, probably, I'll my, probably go back to it and write something on it mine wasn't even, next year. Mine wasn't even a review. I actually wrote them an email about the game, and then they posted it on the website after they asked me. So, um, <laughs> but I think, yeah... I mean, obviously, a lot of the Steam community are rancid, and everybody knew 4chan were rancid as well. I think anything we can do is kind of promote better communities, is like to kind of be a, a force for positivity, to kind of turn it and stuff. And it is really good to hear. Be better so, stewards. Here's hear what we're saying that's gone up the charts, not because you know it was publicly some trolling, but because people did get behind it and people saw it was a good thing to get behind. But we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't forget that there's loads of other indie developers doing good things as well, and they're just not as widely publicized. So, just you know, just just get a little, be nice. Happy Christmas. Play, play uh, yeah, you know, happy holidays, <laughs> festivus, etc. So okay, uh-huh. that comes that comes to the end of the year. And even though there were things that happened after this date, for example, the new Walking Dead season began and all that stuff, we can't really comment on that with any degree of authority at this point, so we should just launch right into 
the final stage of this podcast, I guess. Before that, before that. No, dang it, that's I just a want... perfect transition. Oh, because I just want to say, what are the odds that something happens tomorrow? Laying down, lay down your bets. Um, I don't no. know the odds that I care are very low. Nothing so. ever happens on a Thursday. I, I also <laughs> hope that nothing happens for the rest of the year. I think we all do that, but we know that's a vain hope. All right. I guess we're just going to wrap it out with our game of the years and our resolutions for what next you mean year. our games of the year? Well, however you many want, you want to list. All right. Let's pull mine up here. Oh, you're going to the official published list. Oh, not the published one. This is the one that I haven't yet released on my website. And I'm not yeah. sure that I'm going to do it since I'm going to be announcing them here anyway. It's row four of the year award. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. Just put that gif at the bottom. There we are. Bam. Okay. So let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Is this seven, different from the one you did on Gamma Sutra, Chris? I think it's an extension. Okay. I haven't written mine yet I'm, because i got a lot of games to get through to test it, or not test it, uh, to figure out what what I think was actually good because i still got a lot to get through. I'm going to do that in January again because I liked having extra time over the holidays. There, it's probably better because everyone's all fatigued on these now. So we're just Alrighty. naming some, I'm just some, for some clarity here, we're just naming off games that are our games of the year. Yeah, I guess yep. if you like have like a small You're, comment, but... Okay, I'm just, you're not I'm you're not a, you're not tied down to your list either. All right, I'm just I haven't done this before. I'm just literally asking. Neither have we. Okay. Neither have we. This Neither is like we. totally spur of the moment. Really. Every year, every year we try we try something different to make to make this easier on ourselves, and it only sometimes works. Okay, sorry. All right, I'm ready. I've got my I've got my 13 for 2013. <laughs> All right, here we go. Number one. Actually, this is in no particular order. I'm just like organizing here so you know when I'm done. Uh, number one, Typing of the Dead, Overkill. I wrote about this a bit more in my Gamma Sutra list, but again, this is a game that, you know, shouldn't by rights exist. It had everything go wrong, a studio collapse, a contract expire, everything that could possibly go wrong, went wrong with this, and they still came out with it, and on time, at like, I don't know, something like a six-week, 16-week turnaround or something like that. So bravo to the people over at Modern Dream for your accomplishment. All right, number two, Animal Crossing, New Leaf. Probably one of the most zen-like experiences I've ever played, and my house is the best. Three, Fire Emblem Awakening. If you do not ship Sully with Stahl, I don't know what to say to you. Four, Stanley Parable, HD version. If you played the original, this is basically the same thing, but it's prettier, and it's prettier. All right, that was like, what, four? Five, Kate Plus. It has an achievement where you have to bake a cake for a character and send a photo to the developer. This is the best game mechanic of 2013. That's what, five, six. Kentucky Route Zero, it's amazing. It's basically Twin Peaks as a video game. Whatever number this is, Far Cry 3, Blood Dragon. It is amazing. Don't listen to any of the haters. Then Gone Home, we've also discussed Candy Box, that little text ASCII game that completely blew everyone away, and then the sequel that everyone cared about for about half a day and then forgot about forever. Special shout-out to Deirdre Kiai's Dominic Confirmus, and it's not over till the Fat Lady Sings, who's one of the games that I got to review for uh, IndieCade this year, and it's absolutely one of my new favorites about, you know, an 
a singing detective who does not identify as either male or female, and this is something that speaks to me personally quite an awful lot lately. So it was a great queer musical experience that I highly recommend. A little game that isn't officially out yet, but is still being developed, and I also reviewed for Indiecade, but didn't unfortunately get into the festival, is Axiom Verge, which is a Metroidvania with a very amazing art style to it. If you have a chance to, I would recommend that you go and check that out. Again, that's Axiom Verge, and I'm highly much, I'm highly much, what the fuck? <laughs> you really, really like it? I am very much looking forward to its official release. And let's see. And so, all right, number 12, Welcome to Night Vale. It's not a game, but it was the best thing this year. Okay, and then the last 13th of this incredible, boring list, I must give my absolute bestest of the best, most top tier of the god tier, game of the year, god game. The Saints Row fucking four. If you haven't played it, I don't think we can be friends. All right. Okay. Well, that was nice Cameron? Yeah. Okay. Can uh, can someone else go first really quick? I'm trying to check and see if a game came out this year. Okay. I just, okay. right. I'll, I'll, I'll go tell you the list of mine already, and I'll be short and sweet. Yeah, go ahead. As I inevitably am by virtue of genes. Okay, so um, I've, I've kind of whittled it down to five. Um, the first one is Ridiculous Fishing, which is an uh, iOS game by Vlambeer, who kind of tortured history. Um, and it's just a very nice game about a guy that likes to fish, instead, except instead of using a fishing rod, he uses shotguns. Second one is Fresh and Quest, believe it or not, um, which I thought was a really powerful game. And I think, like, most of the ones on my list are just kind of fun or, you know, mechanically interesting. This is one that I felt was actually important because I have a lot of friends who've suffered from depression, but I never really understood it. And that game helped a lot. So fantastic. Uh, the next one is 868Hack, which is a game by Michael Rule or Rule there, whatever. Um, it's for iOS. Um, and it is a game you play as a hacker in this somewhat crudely drawn monochrome environment. And it's just a, another really interesting roguelike-like which is like it's really, really hard and very good. Uh, what's next? Um, I've put Animal Crossing New Leaf as well, just because it's nice. This is what this is the, this is the kind of level of criticism I get up to. It was nice. It's a nice game. I liked it. And my game of the year is from Roll. Uh, was Spelunky. Surprise. Yay. Well, yeah, partly because of some 20 hours into it, which is more than pretty much anything else this year. If you want to know some thoughts about this that aren't just pulled out of my ass in 20 seconds, I'll probably write a blog about it soon. All right. Okay. Um, I'm ready to go now, if I should do that. Do it. Do it. Okay. All right. So I really like the Yog. The Yog came out with Damien Summer and Emily Carroll. Uh, narrative game that I liked a lot. Uh, I really liked Angvik that came out this year. It's like a 2D Dark Souls the platformer slash combat game. It's really, really short, but it's really, really hard. Castles in the Sky came out this year. I liked it a whole lot. State of Decay came out uh, originally on Xbox, uh, now on PC. Kentucky Route Zero I liked a lot, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna end up writing about all these on the blog. Simian Interface came out this year. Really, oh, really, right. yeah, that's it's really good. Space Wrestler came out this year, um, which is a cool little happy game everyone should check out. 
Bubsy 3D, Bubsy Visits the James Terrell Retrospective. It's an Arcane Kids game that came out like last month or maybe two months ago. It's beautiful. It's about Bubsy going to LACMA. And then Fulmer Kelly's Steel Novella 2083, which is basically just a sprite show-off piece to show off his, some NES-style sprites, but it's a great little two-minute game that I liked a lot. I did not like Saints Row 4. It's my least favorite game. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Worst game. Well, we've already, we've already established how much I distrust your taste level. I know. You're my new Brendan Keough. Yeah. Brendan and I used to, uh, to have opposite opinions, and now we don't anymore. And now it's oh. you and I. I'm sorry. I, guess. I, I feel like Brendan Keough a lot these days. I'm th- I think I might be transmogrifying into him. That's going to be a surprise to his girlfriend. You'll be. Anyway. Uh, you'll walk around and go, "What the fuck?" all the time. Uh, <laughs> Grow a big, burly Amish beard. Exactly. Actually, they probably don't have the Amish in Australia. Anyway. I don't think they do, but all right. Okay. Back on topic. Yeah. Eric. Yeah, Eric. Yes. It's you. All right, really quickly before you go then, to give you a moment, Monster Loves You also came out this year, uh, which is a really cool sort of monster town simulation game uh, where you make all kinds of decisions. It's sort of just a decision tree uh, and stat building game. It's really, really, really cool. That's it. That's all I had to say. Okay. Uh, okay, my list is in no particular order other than the li- the order that I remembered when I wrote it down. Uh, Gone Home, as we've said, it's brilliant type of exploration game, really moving story, and uh, there's just a lot of atmospheric details and telling that can only be done in the course of a video game. Let's see, Kentucky wrote Zero. I put it as one of my best games of the year. There's just so much details in there that you could possibly go over in this small span of time. It just it doesn't really is a complete experience. It really gets the idea of what it wants to do and just goes for it. It doesn't tie itself down with standards or tropes, and it just has a it has a great story and a great way of delivering that. Uh, Europa Universalis Four. I really got into the grand strategy games last year with Crusader Kings Two, and this is just more of that. It's It moves time history forward from that game, but it's really sort of an advancement. It takes things from like the personals, personalities of single and individual landed lords and moves it into the space of like proto-nation states during, the, during the, that rise of time when uh, Europe was coming out of the Middle Ages. And you can take control of any nation state all over the world and try and change history to however you see fit, but it's limited by how you manage relationships with the other nation states, and it is completely indifferent to your desires, as every other nation state has their own desires. It's a great way to see a what-if scenario. It's like fan fiction with world history. Depression Quest, again, I found that a really moving experience for all the reasons that we described. It's just, it really strikes you at your core, uh, papers, please, sort of like it. I mean, how can you make doing paperwork interesting? It manages to make like menial paperwork interesting and just its setting. And I am just babbling now. <laughs> um, so you're saying you like this game? 
yes. I'm babbling about all these. Uh, Brother is a tale of two sons. It's a simple fairy tale, but it's how it presents and how it tells its story that does that makes everything work so well. Knock Knock. It's a horror. It's like a psychological horror game from a Russian indie developer, Ice Pick Lodge. I'm not sure I get all the symbolism because the game is made almost entirely of symbolism, but it is a supremely creepy experience, and there is some really psychological depth to what's actually being displayed on here. Nearly, there's so much subtext that I'm not sure even I could get it all. Memoria, it's a point-and-click adventure game that has probably one of the best just straight-up uh, stories in a video game that I've played this year. Stanley, pa- you know, I'm just going to start listening about Stanley Parable, Rogue Legacy, Tomb Raider, Walking Dead, 400 Days. There's just a lot of good games that came out this year, and a lot more have yet to get to and play. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, wow. We got through a lot. Do we still want to do resolutions? No, because that's just going to be depressing. I can do a quick one. I resolved to record a much shorter podcast last year, next year. And, uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I resolved to get a job. Oh, oh Chris. Oh. Well, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll help you out whatever way we can. Well, thank you one and all for listening in. And we hope you have a happy end of year. Yes. From us at Critical Distance to you. Have a good one. Good kiss. Cheers. Cheerio. Goodbye.